Well, that didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. I thought maybe, I thought maybe TCU would be able to hang around, you know, make something interesting in the second half. Even at 38-7, I was like, you know what? It's not impossible. They were, they did the TCU, not this TCU team, but TCU, the, the, the college football program does hold the record for the biggest comeback in FBS history in the Alamo Bowl. I think that was in, I, I can't remember, 2015, 2016, like that when they beat Oregon in the Alamo Bowl after being down a ton, they ended up coming back and winning that game in the biggest comeback in the history of the FBS. And I was like, 38-7, who, I mean, sure, why not? But then, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I, I shouldn't have thought that. It was 38-7, and then even I, even with that connota- the, the notation that I thought possibly they could do it, I still turned the game off. I was like, okay, I, I, this is, I, even if, if they start coming back, then I'll turn it back on. But yeah, I, that that didn't happen. That didn't end up happening at all. Uh, Georgia becomes national championships, back-to-back national champions. Uh, first back-to-back national champions since since Alabama did it back in 2011, 2012. Those teams were absolutely loaded as well. But the first time that we have seen a back-to-back champion since then, 10 years it's been, which feels weird because it's been, it feels like it's been Alabama kind of dominating the entire college football world since that 2009 season, I would say, all the way up until now. Uh, but they've never been back-to-back champions except, except that one time in 2011, 2012. But here we are. Does Georgia have a possibility to uh, dethrone, if you will, Nick Saban as the commander of the college football world. I don't think it's completely out of the question. Uh, I think we're maybe jumping the gun a little bit too early. If it's, if I'm being honest with you, I think we ran through these questions with Clemson as well. Uh, when Clemson was kind of battling with Alabama, it was a similar situation where those four years from like 2014 to about 2018, 2019, uh, where we were talking at not, I guess that's not four years, five years, I guess is what you could say. Uh, when Clemson was in there battling year in, year out with Alabama, and it felt like we were going to have those two teams in the national championship every single year just because they seemed like the two best teams in the country uh, during that five-year span. And, uh, the, you know, between the two, they ended up winning four national championships from 2015 to 2018. It was Clemson in 2018, Alabama 2017, 2016 Clemson, 2015 Alabama. So uh, we were probably, I, I can remember having this similar argument, uh, but granted, Georgia pretty much dominated the field. They were able to go undefeated once again and, you know, run the table, become national championship once again without really any, I mean, Ohio state was their biggest, probably their toughest competition on the year uh, in terms of how well they, uh, they were played against. I I would say George, Ohio state in the college football semifinal and the college football playoff semifinal played them uh, the best, I would say uh, out of everybody else on that schedule. And, you know, that's, and again, they're going to have they're going to have a peach, uh, a peach in a good way of a schedule for Georgia. The three peat is not out of the realm of possibilities. I believe they are betting favorites as it stands right now to three peat as well. And they are right now, according to DraftKings, which is the, the, the betting people that I use, according to DraftKings, they are plus 275 to win the 2023-2024 National Championship as well, which is number one. And then below them is Alabama at plus 500, Michigan's at plus 800, Ohio State is at plus 800 as well, and then Clemson at plus 1,200 in there as well. So still the betting favorites to three-peat. I mean, I don't hate looking at those odds, obviously, because we're so far out, but I don't, I'm not a huge fan of like the top 25, the way too early top 25s, but I mean, these at least give you an idea of where the betting market stands for these teams in terms of the outlook, the top 25s, even preseason top 25s. I'm like, 
why do we have these? You know what I mean? We haven't seen anything on these teams, and they've changed so much over the preseason that it's impossible to have any idea who the top team in the country is after, unless, except after, you know, week one when we get a, a grasp of seeing what they're doing and the teams that they're playing against and how they play against those teams. Yeah, the top 25, the way too early top 25s. I'll read them because I'm a sucker for top 25s. Like, I always look at them. I'm like, all right, who, who are they going to have? Who are they going to have in the top 25? But then I look at it, and I'm like, why Why am I looking at this, right? Uh, why am I even having any inkling of interest in this? Because it's so... The, the 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 world that is gonna the world is gonna change so much in college football over the next four to five months before we even get into uh, into fall practices that we're gonna have no idea what's going on. Uh, TCU, by the way, on these betting odds according to DraftKings right now is plus five thousand uh, to re- to come back into the national championship and win it. Obviously, uh, so plus five thousand that's in the same area as Texas A and M, Oklahoma is also plus five thousand, A and M's plus five thousand. Washington's plus 4,000, uh, Oregon's plus 3,000, Penn State's plus 2,800. So there are a couple maybe, uh, surprises on here. Florida State's plus 2,000. A uh, couple surprises on this betting list here that I would I would assume their odds would be higher than that. But what am I? Who, who am I to know what these guys are thinking? I have no idea. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but yeah, uh, interesting. I was, you know, I, I, I expected more from TCU, to be honest with you, just because of how well they played. Michigan, how I mean, they didn't dominate Michigan. I would say the second half definitely leaned more in Michigan's favor. But I mean, that first half they were they were running up and down the field against a solid Michigan defense, and then able to stop that Michigan offense uh, during the first half pretty pretty extensively. Um, but you know, uh, Georgia it, it kind of just shows the disparity between conferences. I would say. And then the teams in these certain conferences, you can get lucky all the way to the national. Not necessarily. Luck. I don't want to say TCU is entirely lucky, but they did have. I mean, their 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 wins this year that got them there. Uh, there was, I would say, there was some luck involved with them. It wasn't all, uh, you know, it wasn't blowouts like it felt like Georgia was getting every single week. But there was a threat. There was a stretch there during uh, during the regular season where they uh, uh, won a uh, one one score win versus Kansas on the road. Oklahoma State a three point win against Oklahoma State, a ten point victory over Kansas State in the regular season, ten point victory over West Virginia, ten point victory over Texas Tech, seven point victory over Texas, uh, tw- uh, one point victory over Baylor, and then they dominated Iowa State at the end of the year, and then lost in the Big Twelve Championship game to Kansas State, another three point loss in that game. So you know it's not like they were necessarily lucky, I would say, but I mean, they were playing with fire for a lot of the season, and they were lucky they did not get burnt at any of those regular season games. Uh, and then in the end, you know, Georgia just showed the difference, the the complete parity in conferences, the SEC just being, I mean, even if you're, if you're just watching that game, you could see it. Just the difference of guys that were on that field, and this is no disrespect to any of the TCU guys, obviously, or anything like that, but I mean, the difference in size, in speed, and just overall execution from the Georgia team, it just seems like they're playing on a different a different playing field than a lot of the, uh, the other conference teams. I mean, the Big Ten probably has an argument to be made, but I would say most of the Big 12, my team included at this point, does not have any any reason to be stepping into the limelight with a team like Georgia or Alabama or even at this point, Tennessee is one of those I think is getting to that point. So, I mean, it, it, that's the, the the massive difference between the, the conferences, the SEC, which is the the darling of the college football world and really the rest of college football, but whether it be the Pac-12 the Big Ten is probably the closest to the rest of the SEC, but it's really top-heavy. I mean, it's only Ohio State and Michigan that can really have that sort of uh, 
that sort of claim where they could say they could probably get into the SEC and at least one of them probably win an SEC championship, I would say. I think I could comfortably say that if either Michigan or Ohio State went into the SEC, I'd be confident in saying they one of them would make a push for a a, an SEC championship, whereas I can't think of any other team in any other conference where if you move them into the SEC, that they would make a push for the uh, SEC title. I, I just can't see it. Uh, there's a, there's no team that I could see doing that in any other conference uh, other than maybe Michigan and Ohio State to be. And that's because they play these these guys a lot and they've been able to hold their own against these teams a lot as well. So, uh, yeah, it just the parity was uh, was frightening uh, between these two teams. Uh, I, I, you know, I know I'm not one of those people that says, you know, let's put we should have had Alabama in the in the in the in the championship game. No, they they, they didn't deserve to be in there because they didn't win the games they were supposed to win. Uh, same with Michigan. Michigan could have been in there. They didn't beat this TCU team. And same with Ohio State. They didn't beat Georgia. So or whatever you know, so on and so forth. So uh, I'm not one of those people. I just think that's kind of an annoying argument to have. And then the other annoying argument that I, I saw going around was, could this Georgia team beat LSU? One, we'll never see it happen. I mean, that's that's just an argument that. It, it it's only there to create argument because it's never, we're never going to see it happen. There's no way to prove that argument whatsoever. And it's just an annoying thing to have fly around Twitter for a day and then go on to first take or whatever, because they have, they need something to talk about for an hour. Now the college football's done. So I, I mean that, that I, I just don't like having that discussion just because it's, there's no way to prove what the, the claim that you're making, but it's LSU guy. That 2019 LSU team was insane. Like, what are we talking about? Joe Burrow had 6,000 passing yards, the only 6,000 yard passer in NCAA football history. I mean, what are we talking about here? Here, here's okay. More crazy stats. This is uh, this is from Preston Guy on Twitter. Seven win. This is that 2019 LSU team. This is why they're the greatest team of all time, in my opinion, and why we're going to always have this conversation. Whether, you know, in every with every undefeated national champion that comes through college football, I think we're always going to have the conversation about that 2019 LSU team. Could they beat the 2019 LSU team? And this is why, I mean, Georgia, they're going to get that. I, here's the thing. I hate talking about this because we'll never see it, but I'm going to I'm going to do it. I'm going to fall for it because I'm a weak boy. I'm a weak guy. All right. I'm weak. 2019 LSU, seven wins over top 10 teams. The most in FBS, seven wins over top 10 teams, the most in FBS history. Not once did an opposing team have the ball with a chance to tie the game in the fourth quarter at any point during the season in 2019 against LSU. Let me read that again. Not once did an opposing team have the ball with a chance to tie the game in the fourth quarter against that 2019 LSU team. That is so absurd. And then Joe Burrow, like I said, had the most, the only 6,000-yard passing season in FBS history. He was the only player in Power 5 history to throw six touchdowns, or excuse me, 60 touchdowns in a single season. Joe Burrow's 65 total touchdowns is the most in FBS history. Joe Burrow won the Heisman by the largest margin in the history of the award. They beat, uh, they beat Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, Lincoln Riley, Jimbo Fisher, and Dabo Sweeney all in the same season. They scored the most points in FBS history at 726. One of three teams to go 15 and 0 in the playoff era. They beat five of seven of the other top eight teams by an average scoring margin of 19.6 points. They were literally they were beating five of the other seven top eight teams in the country by nearly 20 points. That's absurd. Jamar Chase, number two all-time SEC receiving yards, and duo Justin Jefferson, number sixth, the largest combination of the duo. 
Uh, Ed Orgeron, Coach of the Year, ESPN Home Depot Coach of the Year, SEC Coach of the Year, AP Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year, Football Writers Association of America Coach of the Year, Joe Brady went on to pl- uh, went on to coach in the NFL as well. He's the Assistant Coach of the Year that year. The Maxwell Award Player of the Year uh, was for Joe Burrow. The Associated Press Player of the Year was Burrow. Walter Camp Award, the best player was Burrow. SEC Player of the Year was Burrow. Davey O'Brien, yada, 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 you get all the awards. Then they had the Belitnikoff for best receiver. That went to Jamar Chase. The Joe, the Joe Moore Award, which went to the best offensive lineman. They won that. They had three top five NFL draft picks on that team. 14 players drafted that year as well. The second most in the seven-round era. Seven first-round first draft picks. 30 total players drafted. Chase and Burrow have already led the Bengals to a Super Bowl. Jefferson broke the NFL rookie record for receiving yards. Jamar Chase, Jamar Chase broke that record the next year. And that is Finney. That's Finn. That's that's that team. That 2019 team was absurd. We're going to look back on that team, in that LSU team in 2019, and we're just going to be, I mean, we're going to have this argument every year, and that just goes to show how great that team was because they were the best team we had ever seen in college football. And I think it's going to stay that way for, I mean, records are meant to be broken, but I can't see a team being better than the team that I saw in that 2019 year with LSU, with with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, Patrick Queen on defense. I mean, it was just, hey, I, and they played my team in the college football playoff, and they stopped them. They just absolutely stopped them. I, I was embarrassed to go outside, but now TCU, Kind of taking that mantle away. You know, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, Georgia, I, I hate having this argument. I said that and then I fell for it because that's, I mean, that's what I do. I'm, I'm podcasting here, okay? I need the content. So we're going to talk about that team. Uh, but yeah, there's no way we could ever prove that I, unless, you know, you get the exact Georgia team, go into the NFL and play Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow and then Justin Jefferson's with the Bengals and yada, yada. It's just not possible. It's never going to happen. So it's just a weird argument to have. Uh, but 2019 LSU was just a, that's a whole different animal. There's no way we can have that conversation, in my opinion, yet. No way. No way. I think we're maybe overreacting a little bit to the the beatdown that Georgia gave to TCU. And maybe that says a little bit more about TCU uh, in this sense than it does Georgia, I would say. Just because TCU, they were, like I said, they were playing with fire all season long. And never once did it burn them, uh, except for the Big 12 championship. But, I mean, you know. I, I don't know how invested they really were into that Big 12 championship because they knew where they were getting in regardless. Um, so, and then it burns them in the, the national championship. So, you know, that's just that's just how it goes. That's just how the cookie crumbles in the college football playoff. I do want to say though, I, I'm going to try to twist this into a positive because a lot of people, like I said, they were they were having the conversations of uh, it should have been Alabama in the college football playoff, or it should have been Michigan in the college football play- or in the uh, the national championship game, and. Okay, we can you can argue that uh, Alabama didn't win their games, Michigan didn't beat this TCU team, whatever. But I will twist this into a positive. I think with um, the expansion of the college football playoff, I think this could mean a good thing for for college football in general. With the expansion, two 12 teams that that's either coming next year or the year after. I'm not 100. I can't remember exactly. I think it's 2024. So next season, the year after this upcoming season, um, I think this could be a good thing. Think of all the um, Cinderella teams that we get during college basketball season during uh, during the big tournament in March. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name of that tournament, but you know what I'm talking about. Not the NIT, the other one, the one that has the national championship in it. Um, 
that tournament, think of all the Cinderella teams that we get in that tournament that are super fun to watch for the first weekend, for the first, you know, a couple, the first weekend and then into the, the round of 16 and into the Elite Eight and stuff like that. Think of all those teams. You got your Butlers, your VCUs. Just this past year, we had um, St. Peter's, the 15 seed that made it to the Elite Eight. Uh, your George Masons, and it goes on and on and on. There's there's a Cinderella team every single year in the college basketball tournament. But the only thing that separates them from the rest of the pack is they usually kind of pitter, they they patter out towards the Elite Eight going into the Final Four. Uh, there are a couple outliers. Butler, obviously, they went on to the National Championship game and almost beat Duke in that National Championship game. I mean, they were pretty close. And that ended up being a pretty solid team The now that we have hindsight in the 2020. I mean, they had a future NBA head coach in Brett Stevens. They had Gordon Hayward, who's having a lengthy career in the NBA as well. So it's not like that team was bad. It was just, you know, you don't think of Butler when you think of a team that will succeed in the, in the, uh, in the NCAA tournament. But uh, yeah, your outliers, your VCUs, like I said, Butler's obviously those are the outliers, but they usually, they usually patter out towards the, the elite eight. So you still get your Cinderella teams during the tournament that are still fun to watch during those sweet 16 rounds, the round of 32 and stuff like that, all the way up to the elite eight usually. And then that's when the blue bloods kind of, kick them out of the tournament. They usually beat down the Cinderella teams and the big, the best teams are usually the ones left standing. And that's what I think will help college football. Once we get to the round of uh, the, the 12, the 12 team selections, Uh, I think this TCU team, it would be a good story for the first two or three rounds of the tournament. And then once you get into the national championship game or the final four, I think they would end up probably petering out a little bit. They would be playing with fire too long in that scenario. And I think they'd probably lose to the better team in that situation um, after playing the first two or three rounds of that tournament. So I think it could be good for the college football playoff in the long run, just because I think we're going to see a similar a similar output in terms of um, Cinderella stories during the actual tournament in the, the the playoff tournament with the 12 teams. I think we'll see our top four seeds that are going to be the blue bloods, quote unquote, of the college football world. We're going to see upsets with the maybe an 11 seed beating a two seed or whatever, however they end up formatting the actual tournament. Uh, and, and I think that could be fun. Now, granted, it's going to be a little bit different because the 11 seed is just going to be the 11th best team in the country and it's going to end up being a, you know, a Tennessee or something like that. So it's not going to be a true Cinderella in that fashion that we see it in college basketball. You know, St. Peter's is not going to make it into the college football playoff, obviously, or anything like that. But we could see a, uh, you know, a Washington or something like that surprise somebody. I mean, they've already made the college football playoff, but you get what I'm saying. A Utah State move all the way up to 12. A Boise State move all the way up to 12 or something like that. Somebody from a random conference that somehow finds a way in and then uh, beats one of the better teams in the in the country. And then maybe that's when their road ends. The, the, the week after in the quarterfinal I guess is what it would be in the quarterfinal where they play a better team um, and then losing that I mean that that's how I could see it becoming a positive I just think the four team playoff as it stands right now doesn't really leave a lot of room for that sort of um, Cinderella parody where the better teams end up beating those Cinderella stories earlier on in the tournament. And I think that would be a good thing for college football. I think that it's not necessarily a bad thing um, that these, you know, TCU, even though it's not necessarily Cinderella story, I mean, they were, what was it? I think it was like 500. I don't think it was 500, 250 to one to make the, uh, to make the college football player for even win the national championship. So they are a Cinderella story, but they deserve to be there. Like nonetheless. Um, but I think in that situation, they will, uh, they, they will, go out of the tournament earlier with a 12-team playoff because the better teams will begin to separate themselves with a longer runway, I guess is what I would say. Um, and I think 
that is going to cause the best teams, the actual true best teams in college football to be the last team standing in the semifinal. And I think that's going to be better for college football going forward. But, you know, I, you know, that we we're, we're getting close to having the perfect college football playoff. We just had the best semifinal uh, that we've ever seen between the, the Michigan and TCU, Ohio state and Georgia, the two best semifinals that we've seen. And then we had a really stinker of a final, but we're going to, one of these days, we're going to get both the best semifinal games and then the best college football playoff final game. And they're going to be like, all right, this is it. We've done it. We've done, we've peaked. This is the, the we've absolutely done it. And we're going to get to that point. I hopefully next year, because after that, then we're going to the 12 team playoff. And, uh, and then who knows? And then it's going to be, and then it's going to be crazy. Who knows what's going to happen there? I'm excited for that. I can't wait for the 12 team playoff. I'm excited for it because we're going to see 11 seeds beat two seeds or whatever. We're going to see 10 seeds beat three seeds or whatever. I think it's just going to create a lot more fun for college football and the tournament in general. The tournament's just going to make it a lot more interesting. I mean, they could take a lesson from the FCS because the FCS, the FCS tournament every year is always fun. And by the end of it, you always have the the best teams in the country playing for the national championship. You don't have the necessarily the Cinderella team being the one that holds the trophy at the end of the year. But, you know, every now and again, sure, but it doesn't happen very often. You usually have your Blue Bloods in FCS hoisting the trophy at the end of the year. That's usually how it goes. But you do have your upsets every now and again in the earlier stages of the of the bracket, just like college basketball. But towards the end of the year, it kind of flushes itself out. And that's kind of how college football works, too. But they use the regular season to kind of do that. And then championship weekend uh, with the conference championships to kind of do that as well. We had complete madness during the regular season where nobody really knew who the best team was. But Georgia always, I mean, quietly, I mean, I think we all kind of knew Georgia was the one that looked like the best team. Uh, Tennessee was in there for a little bit after they beat Alabama and it looked like they were the best team back and forth. We went a year in or week in, week out. But at the end, at the end, who was standing tall? Of course, Georgia, the one team that we could count on uh, other than, you know, uh, Tennessee there for a little bit there for a little bit that we could count on Tennessee. But after that, after all that, after all the dust has settled, Georgia still standing like we thought they would be uh, at the end of the year. So. Sucks college football's over, but now we get into recruiting season, and then everybody's going on like 24-7 sports looking at who their team got. That's the fun part. And the transfer portal as well, that's that's going to be that's going on year-round as well. So now we got full season, a full season of college football, a full year of college football to worry about because we got recruiting, we got transfer portal. So you know what? It never ends. But the football does, the football itself does. And now that it's over, I'm kind of sad. Now we gotta wait all the way till September again to watch uh, to watch more college football. So that part sucks. But recruiting is always fun as well, just because you get you're getting crazy rumors. Plus the the coaching carousel that we're gonna get as well. It's gonna get wild. I mean, who knows? Maybe Nick Saban retires. I mean, he was looking pretty good on the college football playoff broadcast. He was hanging out there on that desk. Maybe he gets a feel for it. Maybe he's like, you know what? I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna get paid what these announcers are getting paid because they're getting paid absurd amounts of money, even though he's probably getting paid close to what they're making in Alabama. He's essentially got a, a clause in his contract that says he has to be the highest paid coach no matter what happens, what whatever the next coach signs for, he has to top it in the next part of his contract. So he's probably making something something absurd like the, the announcers are at this point. So I can't see him going away anytime soon, but he looked pretty good. He was doing it. I was honestly impressed with how well he was handling himself on the college football, uh, the game day set, if you will, on uh, on that set during uh, during the game. So. Who knows? Maybe Nick Saban retires. Maybe a bombshell's coming up. Maybe he wants to spend some time with the grandkids or something like that. And then really, then we really are handing the reins over to Kirby Smart at that point. But that's just, you know, I'm just, I'm being facetious at this point. We're going to move on. Okay. Shout out college football. 
Thank you for a good year, college football. I always love watching college football. It's it's probably my favorite rendition of the sport of football more than the NFL, to be honest with you, just because of how uh, random and insane the atmosphere kind of is. Uh, Buffalo in the NFL, the Buffalo Bills kind of feel like the only team that can kind of uh, replicate that in the best way possible. Uh, but the NFL, for the most part, is definitely the much more mature sport, if you will, the much more mature version of the sport, which that's understandable. We're talking about college kids and being absolutely insane and kind of stupid but that's college you know that's what you're gonna do and that's what's college football that's what college football is all about uh all right let's move on speaking of nfl week 18 week 18 is over uh i'm i'm super happy we kind of got to move on not i don't want to say move on but the demar hamlin situation uh not ended but we're getting progressively better updates with the demar hamlin situation he went home uh went back to buffalo He's getting treatment in Buffalo now, so he was able to leave the hospital in Cincinnati, uh, and he was, you know, awake, conscious, and and everything. He was having expressing glorious emotions during the Bills game this week, and uh, and it was good to see, man. It was that was a that was a rough that was a that was a rough little bit a little bit of time there for uh, I would say Tuesday up until like Thursday, uh, where we really had I I was a concern that we weren't going to have. Uh, not concerned that we weren't going to have football. I was concerned for Hamlin, obviously, but I was more in the ballpark of if we don't know what's going on with Hamlin, I don't know how good of a how good of a message it's going to send that we're literally just playing Week 18 while this guy is still fighting for his life in the hospital. Um, but he ended up making a great recovery. He was, you know, conscious. He was FaceTiming people. He was tweeting out on his uh, on his Twitter account and stuff like that. So. Uh, it seems like he's in good spirits. He's still recovering, obviously. He's still got a long road ahead, ahead of him and stuff. So uh, thank you to everybody that, if you did, click on that link on the uh, in the uh, last episode's description to DeMar Hamlin's toy drive, his community toy drive. I think it's up to like $8 million, which is absurd. So uh, if you did donate to that, uh, we appreciate it. I'm sure he appreciates that. Your money may not, you know, blow off the page or anything like that on the rest of the donations, but every little bit helps for that situation. Just showing your support for something that he believes in and he's passionate about during his time of need. That was, uh, that was cool to see. That was cool to see his toy drive going up to $8 million raised for, uh, his, uh, his personal endeavors. So we were able to play football under, uh, morally as, as morally, uh, acceptable conditions as it could be. Um, DeMar Hamlin was conscious he was watching football as well, so it felt a little bit better than uh, if it was not that situation. Uh, so we all watched football and we had a good time. It was the last weekend of Red Zone. I was a little, I was kind of, I was a little upset. I was a little sad. Hey, a quick tip for you: if you've got Red Zone, remember to delete it from your cable package. Okay, you don't want to be getting charged for the next eight months while nothing is going on on that channel. Uh, or whatever, whatever cable package you got, YouTube TV, whatever it is, make sure you delete it off of that because you don't want to be getting charged while nothing is going on on that channel during the next eight months because literally nothing is going to be going on. They have those cool, they have the cool music going on on that channel, but that's it. You don't want to be paying one hundred and thirty dollars a year for that channel during that. So make sure you delete. Maybe make sure you unsubscribe until till come August or September next year. Um, but yeah, the last week in a red zone, I, I'm going to miss it. This was my first red zone endeavor endeavor. I've never, I've never had red zone for football season before. And man, man, is it fun? I love red zone. It's my favorite. And the NFL, I mean, the NFL has, they have created something that now every single uh, major sports league in our, in our viewing circle wants to replicate the, 
with Red Zone. I mean, Red Zone is so different in terms of anything else that we are able to watch with any of the other sports, but they're trying to replicate it. MLB is the one that I can think of right off the top of my head. MLB Tonight, that happens literally every night, and they do not necessarily the exact same thing. They have their live look-ins that they do from time to time on the more crucial moments of the games, but they still have a lot of analyst discussion and stuff like that, so it's not an exact replica. NBA Game Time is a similar situation that they made from MLB Tonight, kind of the same thing. They're probably doing more live look-ins into that as well for NBA game time as well. And then I know uh, Paramount, they have like a, a similar situation when they do the Champions League in soccer, where they have a, a Champions League red zone, if you will, uh, where you look at all the most important situations that are going on. If there's somebody in the attacking third and so on and so forth. If there's a big decision on the line, a penalty, free kick, that sort of thing, they go through and display each one of those. And it's just, I mean... The NFL, man, they nailed it. DirecTV, I guess, first. They did it first. They nailed the red zone. I mean, uh, they, they, we are so, they're ahead of their time, really, with our, with, they were, they were finding, they were seeing that the people of, uh, of uh, America and the people of planet Earth were, they were losing interest quicker and quicker and quicker. And they needed these short spurts of actual interesting content very quickly in order for you to keep their attention. And uh, that's what Red that's what Red Zone does. They're only showing you the best plays of the day, uh, the most important plays. And then, you know, they'll do live look-ins if there's nobody in the actual Red Zone of just games that look uh, that are close or something like that. And they'll go back and forth to that. It's just a, it's a marvelous invention. It's the best thing that the NFL has put out in forever. I'll be honest with you. It's the best thing that they have done that I'm actually like, okay, I can get behind this that, uh, that I can get behind in a long time. Um, but yeah, last week in a red zone, I'm going to be, I'm going to be back. I'm going to be back next year as well. So, you know, you're not missing out on a customer next year either. Um, all right, let's talk about week 18 a little bit. Uh, the Cowboys, they, whew, they had a chance to, they needed a little bit of help, obviously, but they had a chance to capture the NFC East. You know what they did? They went out there and they said, you know what? Let's capture that NFC East. Let's do it with this win over the Washington commanders. Just kidding. They laid a big old egg. They laid a big old egg, a big old egg against the Washington Commanders. They lost 26 to 6 with the NFC East on the line. Washington wasn't playing for anything. And um you let a guy, a Sam Howell, go out there and and just and torch, torch the Cowboys. I mean, it, torches may be a strong word. I'm being a little bit, I'm being a little bit obtuse, but I mean he played, I you know, he played good. I'm not gonna say he he was uh, you know, completely stunning by any means, but I mean, it's weird that you have all these backup quarterbacks now that feel like they can just come in. You could plug them in, and they'll be able to get you at least 200 yards and have a decent passing, a decent, a decent completion percentage to be like, well, maybe we got something. I mean, 11 for 19, 169 yards and a touchdown. Maybe they got something. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Against Cowboys who were supposed to have a vaunted defense, a decent defense at stopping the pass. And, you know, that that wasn't the case against the Commanders, and here we are. 11-19, uh, 169 yards from Sam Howell. They win 26-6. Literally no nothing to play for the Commanders. They had literally nothing to play for. No playoff implications, nothing like that. It's not going to change their draft position too drastically or anything like that. Uh, and they come out and they they stomp the Cowboys at home. They they send the Commanders crowd happy home happy with a victory on the season, the final victory of their season. And then hopefully, knock on wood, probably not, but hopefully, the final, the final game of the Dan Snyder era. Hopefully, really, I'm hoping for it, but it's probably not going to happen. He seems a little finicky, seems a little, uh, a little hesitant to sell, even though he sucks. Everybody kind of hates Dan Snyder, but you know he's probably going to hold on to that team because that's what gives him the power. Uh, let's go on here. The Lions, the Lions, man. Whoa, whoa, Packers, man. 
Look, I'm a, I'm a Vikings fan, okay? I shouldn't be rooting for the Lions either. But, man, it's good to see the Lions are restoring the roar, okay? I, I don't love the Lions. I'm not a huge Lions guy. I love the story, though, to be honest with you. They were 2-6 and six at the start of the year. They end up 9-8 and eight on the season. They didn't have a chance to make the playoffs in this game either as it started. They needed the Seahawks to lose in order for them to get in. Uh, the Seahawks did not lose. They ended up beating the Rams 19-16. So by the time this game kicked off, the Lions knew they had no playoff implications in this game or anything like that so you know no reason to really pay for play for anything or anything like that you know nothing that big of a deal they're probably just gonna come out you know relax a little bit don't worry worry about not getting injured you know you don't want to get injured the last game of the year just kidding they don't care about that they're gonna bite your kneecaps off that's what dan campbell said he said he's gonna bite some kneecaps off if you're gonna drown us or whatever he said something similar to the to the to the fact of uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna try to drown us we're gonna take you with us or something like that because he's an absolute psychopath and you know what it's working the lions are beginning to have that identity as complete psychopaths uh jamal williams complete psychopath but i love him he seems like a a, a great guy to hang out with he seems like a ton of fun and this team is just crazy i don't get it they're they're fun to watch they have a great offense it's unfortunate their offensive coordinator is probably gonna get a head coaching job somewhere Ben Johnson, that is, he's probably more than likely going to get a head coaching job somewhere because of the 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 job that he has done as the offensive coordinator of the Lions. I mean, they've looked good. And the thing is that's great about these Lions, more than any other team it really feels like, is they just went in week in, week out. They're going to bust you up. They're going to play their style of football, and they're going to win football games, which is crazy because they're 9-8. and eight. They were 2-6 and six to start the year. And I was like, oh, man, Man Campbell, it's not working out. This is so unfortunate because I love Man Campbell, the man Dan Campbell. I, I thought it was over, but then here we are, 9-8. and eight. They go into Lambeau Field in Week 18 with the Packers actually having some sort of playoff implications on the line. They go in and beat the Packers on the road at Lambeau Field after Aaron Rodgers talking all that smack. All that smack, he gets outplayed by Jared Goff. Jared Goff, no touchdowns. Two, 23 of 34, 224 yards, though, and he leads the Lions to a 20-16 to 16 victory over the Packers. That was just... I think everybody at this point is kind of just rooting for the uh, rooting for the Lions right now because they're just uh, they've been underdogs for so long, you know. Nobody's really thought of the uh, the Lions as winners, you know. Nobody's thought of the Lions as as a winning team or anything like that. And here they are, 9 and 8, a winning record for the first time since 2017 when they had Jim Caldwell as their head coach. They went 9 and 7 that year. Uh, so first time since 2017, 2017 they've had a winning record. And uh, it's only up from here. I don't know what they do with the quarterback situation. I don't think Goff is the answer long term, to be honest with you. So I don't really know what they do there. Um, but I don't know if that's really a question they need to be answering at this point. I, they just, you know, go in the offseason. They pro- I think they they performed above uh, above expectations, I would say, and especially offensively. I mean, they were pretty solid offensively, to be honest with you. Their defense is kind of a wreck. They need to they need to figure out their defense a little bit. Uh, but I mean, they have the weapons. The quarterback is the only question that they have. But you can hold on to Goff for a little bit until you find that answer. Uh, but you could get, you know, Derek Carr. I don't know how much better Derek Carr is over over Jared Goff. To be honest with you, that's kind of where we're at right now. I mean, the Raiders are sitting Jared Goff for Jared Stidham. Granted, uh, I said Jared Goff. Excuse me, Derek Carr for Jared Stidham. Um, granted, they were just doing that because they knew they're not going to bring back Derek Carr. Um, they're not going to risk injuring him. They're going to just going to see what they can get trade deadline that or uh, out of a trade or something like that. Maybe some sort of a package with draft picks or something like that to move up in the upcoming draft. I guess uh, it, maybe you can you can you can ta- you can uh, you can lure somebody into the the aura of Derek Carr and um, move somebody out of the top five or the top ten or something like that. If you're if you're if you're the Raiders, but I don't know. I have no idea what the answer is for the Lions at this point. Um, We'll see, uh, but they got they got Swift, Amon Ross St. Brown looks like a stud. Uh, their offensive line has gotten better and better and better. Panay Seawall looks like a 
year in year out stud as a uh, as one of the one of the uh, the tackles for this team. So we'll see. I don't know what they'll do, but it's only up from here if you're a Lions fan. I mean, this you have genuine hope now if you're a Lions fan. You have genuine actual hope. There is a light at the end of this tunnel, and I can't believe I'm saying it. I cannot believe we're saying it in the year 2022 with the Detroit Lions. There's actual hope for the Detroit Lions going forward. We're, uh, we're talking about a team that hasn't had that since uh, 11 and 5 in 2014, but even before then, I would say uh, the Barry Sanders years, uh, the, the last time they had at genuine hope as a, uh, as a as a team, as a franchise. And here we are. Uh, they're they're a hopeful team going forward, I would say. And you got you got the guy in Dan Campbell that I think can lead you there because to me, Dan Campbell can can make anybody excited to play the game of football. And not only that, motivate anybody to go beat uh, to go bite some kneecaps off and beat the hell out of anybody that stands in the way. That's the Dan Campbell way. And I think uh, I think he's the guy going forward. Obviously, I mean they can't. Here's the thing: they can't fire Dan Campbell because I think he's won the hearts over of so many Lions fans. But we've seen this before. I mean, they fired they fired Jim Caldwell after went like nine and seven, and everybody was like, "Why did you do that? Why did that happen?" And then it was years and years of anguish and and bad teams after that. Uh, and here we are, Jim Caldwell's getting head coaching offers again. So you know, it's it. I mean, it is the Lions. They could line it up, but right now, as it stands. Hope going forward. Light at the end of the tunnel, Lions fans. There is hope. There is hope for your team. Uh, let's talk about the Dolphins. Oof, man. They snuck in. They snuck in. They beat the Jets 11-6. to I thought that was going to be a scoregami, but it wasn't a scoregami. That, that score happened once before in the history of the NFL. I was so disappointed. I thought for sure we were going to score a gami out of that. But we didn't. We did not get a scoregami. Uh, and the Dolphins sneak in. They sneak into the AFC playoff picture. It all rests on the shoulders, I guess, more on the noggin, if you will, of... Uh, of Tua Tagovailoa, we'll see if he plays. Um, if he doesn't play, it's wash. I mean, you can. It's over for the Dolphins. Obviously, I don't know how responsible. I mean, if if a doctor clears Tua Tagovailoa, the guy's been battling concussion problems all year long. So, if a doctor clears him, then I mean, it's a it's the doctor. You know, I'm not gonna go against the doctor in that sense, but. I don't know how much the given what we've seen over the last week with Demar Hamlin and stuff, and how quickly. Um, your world, and granted, it's a completely different thing. Uh, DeMar Hamlin's situation was more just a freak injury, uh, a freak accident. But I think it really drew attention to a lot of the, uh, to more of the human aspect of the situation. And it's kind of been, that the human aspect of football has been growing more and more as, you know, years have gone on. We've learned more about the concussions in general with the the direct connection to CTE. Uh, so I think it would be morally unresponsible, uh, irresponsible to play Tua in this upcoming game this week, um, even if he is cleared medically, I just think the guy's been—he's uh, been going through. Oh, he's been concussion protocoled what three or four weeks this season. So I—I I don't know. I, there's just something about sacrificing that, especially after what we've seen. Sacrificing the body of a of a human being, the brain of of a, of a human being, and Tua Tungavailoa um, for a, a divisional playoff game against the Bills, which. You know, even if Tua plays, I think they're what ten and a half point dogs right now, or something like that, against the Bills. If uh, if Tua doesn't play, and if Tua does play, what they're they'd move down three points or something like that. I don't know how much of a difference it would really make. To be honest with you, I still think the Bills win this game. Uh, granted, if you're the Dolphins, you're giving your your the your team the best absolute best chance to win. I'm not going to argue with that, obviously. But there's got to be some sort of moral compass we have to follow. I, I get following the doctor's orders. If the doctor says yes, then we do it. But if you're Mike McDaniel in this situation, you have to at least approach it differently Where it, with the question of, 
okay, well, he was morally cleared the other three times and he still got those three, those three concussions or whatever. So I don't know. I really don't know what you do if you're the Dolphins. I mean, I think you have to kind of go with it. If the, if he's, if he's, if his doc, if the doctors clear him two was good to play, then you have to play him in that sense. You're not going to, you know, but that then, you know, if he gets hurt, God forbid he gets hurt playing in that game against the bills. If he does end up playing, then, you know, you're opening other, a whole other can of worms up. And, you know, that happened already with the, the Bengals game earlier in the season where he got hurt. He got a concussion again. And then we were talking about how, you know, he needs to sue the NFL for, for murder or whatever. He needs to, he needs to come forward with manslaughter charges against the NFL. So I don't know. It's just a, it's, you're asking, you're asking a lot of uh, questions morally about um, the game of football and what we should do as as football co- coaches, as fans, and stuff like that with the Tua Tagovailoa situation, and um, especially after uh, everything with Demar Hamlin as well. And again, not the same situation at all. I mean, one was a freak accident; the other, we have links to CTE with concussions uh, for years down the line. I mean, it's just you know, I I don't know what you do. Uh, you want to give your team the best chance to win, and starting tied uh, to a Tonga Bailoa is going to give you the best chance to win if you are if you are the uh, if you are the Miami Dolphins. So I, I don't know what you do. I have no idea what the answer is in that scenario. But for me, I could I could be the couch quarterback. No pun intended. I could be the couch quarterback in that situation and say no. He should sit. He should sit because he has had concussion problems all years all year long and that's what every fan's going to do no well not every fan but um, most fans are probably going to say that you know he's had concussions all year long he should not be playing in this game it is morally irresponsible but in the other situation if you're the head coach your job is to go out there and win a super bowl and go on there and win as many games as possible and he gives you the best chance to win you got the gm breathing down your neck you got your the owner breathing down your neck you've got 52 other guys that are looking at you to make the smartest decision and the best decision either to make the, to to get them a chance to win or to be you know the morally responsible human being and you know sit the guy i don't know what you do i have no idea what you do if you're mike mcdaniel i couldn't make that decision i could sit here and and say I could make that decision as I'm sitting here not with a GM breathing down my neck or owners or fans or anything like that. I, and then I don't know what I would do. I would probably crack under under pressure because I, I would never want the job of, uh, of an NFL head coach. So who knows? Who knows what they're going to do? We'll see if Tua is out there. If Tua is out there, obviously there is a, a slight chance for an upset here. I mean, Miami Dolphins have beaten the Buffalo Bills. They beat the Buffalo Bills earlier in the season. Granted, they... Uh, it was a pure domination by the Buffalo Bills, but the uh, the Dolphins were able to get pretty lucky, and then they played Buffalo in Buffalo, and that game was actually, uh, I think, a better game for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, they ended up losing in the game. They had the lead going into the fourth quarter. They ended up losing that game on the road as well. So if Tua plays, I think, I mean, obviously you have a much better chance against Buffalo, um, and I think there is maybe a better chance for that game to be an upset than a lot of people are giving it credit for. Other than maybe, uh, I mean, I mean the Vikings and the Giants. Who who knows with the Vikings? Who knows which Vikings team is going to show up in that game? Uh, and then maybe the Baltimore versus Cincinnati. If Lamar plays, if Lamar doesn't play, then it's a wash. Cincinnati will win that game, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, that, that's my take on that whole Tua situation, the the Dolphin situation. Uh, they're only going to get, they're only going, they're. I mean, they can't get any better without Tua. I guess is what I'm trying to say. There, Skylar Thompson's not going to lead them anywhere if Teddy plays. Um, they get a little bit better by a fraction of a margin, a little bit better, I guess. Um, but nowhere near as good as if, uh, if Tua plays in my opinion, uh, in my opinion. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, and then we'll, the bills week 18, what an emotional game that was. And then 
course, running back of the kickoff. That was super cool to see uh, the first kickoff return uh, for a touchdown in three years and three months. That was interesting. That was weird. I didn't realize that was a stat, uh, which was which was weird. Not not for for the franchise, by the way, not not in the NFL for the franchise. The first uh, kickoff return for a touchdown in three three years and three months, which if you aren't aware, Mark Hamlin's number is three. So there you go. Destiny on his side. They're super cool. And then they ran it back again. Uh, I believe in the second half, Naheem Hines ran back another one in the second half that ended up being a touchdown as well. So uh, a weird day for the Bills. I'm sure a lot of those guys, uh, it helped that obviously DeMar Hamlin was awake. He was conscious. He was probably telling his guys, go out there and beat the Patriots. Secure that secure that two seed. Don't leave anything up for doubt, obviously. And they didn't. Best team best team came out and they displayed. They played good. They won 35 to 23. Josh Allen went 19 for 31, 254 yards, three touchdowns. It's a good game for him. I don't. I didn't see any scenario in which the Bills walk out of that stadium on Sunday with a loss. It felt like they were they were driven to win this game, and maybe this is this whole Demar Hamlin situation. Maybe they can use it as fuel to the fire to find a way into the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. Who knows? Who knows what we'll see come uh, come playoff time? But uh, you know, if you needed extra motivation, it feels like the Bills kind of. Uh, they can, they can use this whole situation as an extra motivation. Win one for DeMar, if you will. Uh, get a ring for DeMar is something that I'm sure they are they are uh, they're telling themselves going forward. Um, and that was, that was week 18. Kind of the, you know, uh, I didn't want to go through each and every game because a lot of them did not end up mattering, obviously. Those were the more interesting games, I would say, uh, when as it comes down to wildcard week. And the other one uh, that would I would mention... Quickly, uh, the Chargers, they lost to the Broncos. That was confusing. Russell Wilson arguably had his best game uh, for the Broncos, and it was a completely useless game. Uh, it did not matter whatsoever. If anything, it hurt them. Well, actually, they didn't. They don't have the draft pick, so never mind. Did not hurt them, uh, but it was a useless game. I have no idea. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what to expect out of Russell Wilson. Maybe this is a good thing. Maybe maybe this is the signs of uh, things to come for next year. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe they can get Sean Payton. That would be a good hire for them. And then it's blast off from there. I would say uh, that the, uh, Russell Wilson should only get better, in my opinion, if if Sean Payton is the head coach for the Broncos next season. But we'll see. And then the Chargers, man, they they played most of their starters too in that game, even though they could not move up or down in the standings. That was stupid. I wouldn't have a problem with them losing to the Broncos if they didn't have most of their starters playing in that game. But for whatever reason, they were Brandon Staley was like, you know, let's play most of these guys, and maybe he has some sort of analytical. Uh, analytics that I'm unaware of where you should be playing your starters in week 18, but it just seems like a a risk that is not necessary. you got Justin Herbert, one of the most electric quarterbacks in the league, uh, playing week 18 for a game that does not matter whatsoever going into the playoffs. And um, you're just, you're taking too much of a risk in that scenario. If you're Brendan Staley, in my opinion, I could not believe I was seeing Justin Herbert out there playing against the Broncos in that game. Um, But nonetheless, uh, there he was, he was out there. He was dishing the ball, uh, and they ended up losing anyways. Thirty-one to twenty-eight. Russell Wilson was the uh, the leader. 30, uh, 13 for twenty-four, two hundred eighty-three yards, and three touchdowns for Russell Wilson. Probably his best game of the season, even though he completed thirteen passes. That's sad. That's disappointing. Uh, anyways, that's week eighteen. The regular season is finally over. It is over, ladies and not fine. I don't want to say finally because you know I'm going to miss it. They should make a week nineteen. Just kidding. They shouldn't. Uh, I wish we'd go back to sixteen weeks to be honest with you because I miss the old eight and eights. You know those were the good days. I miss having eight and eights team perfectly average football teams at eight and eight, perfectly five hundred. We don't have that anymore, unfortunately. That makes me sad. Um, so that's that's it. That's uh that's week eighteen of the books. We got wild card weekend coming up. It's wild card weekend for football. Actually, really quickly, before we get into wildcard week, I want to talk about something really quick about the, we had a couple coaching shifts in the NFL, obviously. First, 
Lovey Smith, the head coach for the Texans. I have to believe if you weren't watching that Texans game, that Texans versus Colts game on uh, on Sunday, there had to have been some sort of he Lovey Smith had to have known or the Texans team, the Texans staff or something had to have known that Lovey Smith was going to get fired because he did end up getting fired. Uh, so they had to have known that he was going to get fired in this game because for whatever reason, the Texans come out, they, they had the one pick, the number one pick in the draft coming into this, coming into Sunday. All they had to do was lose. They secure the number one pick in the draft. Everybody goes happy. Everybody's happy. Everybody goes crazy. They get the, they get Bryce Young, whatever. And, um, you know, you, you have a future franchise quarterback for the Texans. You know what Lovey Smith does? He goes in against the Colts and beats the Colts to improve to 13, thir- excuse me, 3 13 and 1. He wins 32 to 31 on a two point conversion at the end of the game. Uh, Davis Mills has a two, 22 for 38, 298 yard game with uh, three touchdowns, three tutties for Davis Mills. Uh, the team was flying around the field. I was impressed with what I was seeing out of the Texans. And Lovey Smith, it's like he knew he was getting fired. He was like, you know what? You're going to fire me. So screw you. I'm going to win this game. We're going to win this game and screw your chances at the one pick in the draft, the number one pick in the draft. And that's what they did. They go and beat the Colts and proved a 313 and one, 313 and one. So they were 213 and one coming in this game. Excuse me. I said they were 313 and one. They were 213 and one. Um, they were locked up for the number one pick in the draft. They win this game. They're now 313 and one, and they now have the number two pick in the draft. And number one pick in the draft now goes to the Chicago Bears. And that opens up a much more interesting situation for the NFL draft going forward. You have the Bears, granted, if they're not willing to move on from uh, from from Justin Fields, which there's no indication that they would want to move on to Justin uh, move on from Justin Fields. Obviously, he played very well for them this year, even though they did not have a good record. Uh, there was a lot of things going on with that team. He's got no wide receiver help. That defense is a little iffy as well. Uh, so. You know, I don't think they're ready to move on from him just yet, but you do have a a golden uh, a golden bear, if you will, in Bryce Young, uh, a, a a champion and uh, one of the best prospects in the league or in college football, obviously at the quarterback position, and he's projected to go number one in a lot of mock drafts as well. So you know, you could move on from him if you wanted to move on from Justin Fields. And then you're seeing Justin Fields with another team, the the Colts or something like that. The Colts, the Raiders. I mean, there's plenty of teams that need quarterback help that could get it from, uh, from Justin Fields, obviously. But I think the more interesting conversation here is the bears with the one pick in the draft, they're sitting on a golden ticket. I mean, you could take young. He's a, he's the best talent in the class, the best quarterback talent in the class, arguably the best talent in the class. Uh, but with the number one pick in the draft, you have so many options. If you're the bears, you can hold on to Justin Fields, and you could trade your number one pick in the draft and get uh, something else in the draft that you're also looking for an edge defender, a defensive tackle, that sort of thing that you can get a little bit later in the draft and keep the same value, but you're getting picks. You're getting a, a, a load of picks. You're getting possible players and stuff like that onto your team as well, as well as picks. I mean, there are loads of different things that the bears can do here. They can trade down to the Colts. The Colts can get the number one seed or the number one pick in the draft. They need a quarterback, obviously. So they'll take the number one pick in the draft, get Bryce Young. You, knock on wood, have a franchise quarterback in Bryce Young. Bears fall down to number four or something like that. I think it's number four on the mock draft. They still get Jalen Carter, arguably the best defensive tackle in the class from Georgia. Still get him if he's still on the board. They could trade down to the uh, the seven pick in the draft for for the Raiders. The Raiders could trade up for the one pick. They get uh, Bryce Young, immediately have their quarterback situation resolved, and they could pick somebody like uh, Brian Greasy from Clemson, Tyrese Wilson from Texas Tech. If you're if you're the uh, if you're the Bears in that situation, you could do that. The Carolina Panthers as well. 
are the nine pick in the draft. They could trade up and get the one seed. Their quarterback situation is completely fixed. They get Bryce one with the number one pick. They can end up getting uh, the the uh, the Bears can end up getting Tyree Wilson as well. Uh, and if he falls down to that spot as well. So there's just so many Nolan Smith, another guy then another edge defender as well. He's on that list. There's so many things you can do if you're the bear, the Bears. And it makes this draft so much more interesting because, I mean, beforehand, we were just looking at the Texans. They were going to be the number one pick in the draft. They were going to take a quarterback. And then whoever's number two would have been the Bears in this situation. They would have taken Will Anderson. Fine. They'll take Will Anderson at number two. No big deal. They can live with that as their number two pick. But with number one, you've got all the options in the world to do whatever you want in that situation. Draft. You could draft Bryce, uh, Bryce Young. Or you could trade down to draft a defensive tackle or an edge guy and still get the same value out of uh, out of those guys later in the draft, and you're still bringing in a haul of picks with trading for uh, or trading the number one pick. You're going to get a haul of either first round picks, first round, second round picks. You know, you name it. You're going to get a haul out of that. Um, so it just makes the NFL draft so much more interesting, and it's all because, it's all because Lovey Smith, the legend Lovey Smith, gave the birds to the Texans organization as he was getting kicked out the door and said, you know what? I'm going to win this game in week 18 just because I know I'm on my way out. And he said, you know, I'll give you the bird on the way out as well. And that's what he did. He gave him the bird, gives them this number two pick in the draft. And now this draft is, I have no idea what to expect out of this draft. Number two, the number two pick in the draft in the Texans is probably a little bit more predictable. If, uh, if Bryce Young is assumingly, assumedly the first pick in the draft because the bears will probably trade. If not, then they'll take like Jalen Carter. Then the Texans will take Bryce young at number two. But if not, if they trade down, uh, if the bears end up trading down, the Texans will take, uh, well, Le- will levies, something like that. And, uh, some, some other, some other quarterback prospects, CJ Stroud, that'd probably be a little bit early, but will levies would be the guy that would probably be number two, but CJ Stroud is also an option. Anthony Richardson, that would be a super reach. I would say, but you know, Still, just so many options, so many new options for the NFL draft that are a lot more interesting, in my opinion, than if the Texans just ended up getting the number one overall pick, because we all know what they need and what they desperately need, obviously, is a quarterback. And that's what they would have taken. So crazy weekend for football, and it affected the next few months of what talk shows are going to talk about for the next few months for sure i mean let me tell you first take every talk show every 24-hour news uh, sports network that you're going to be watching they're going to be talking about the draft once the super bowl is over like crazy like crazy like nothing we've ever seen we're going to be talking about should the bears should the bears trade their pass should the bears take the trade their number one pick should the texans trade up for the number one pick who knows i mean that's what we're going to be talking about until till march or april whenever the draft is all i know is come draft day i'm gonna be excited it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting I'm gonna. We're gonna see what happens. This is gonna be very interesting. All right. Uh, wild card weekend. It's wild card weekend time. Wild card weekend time. Woo! It's playoffs time. I'm. I'm actually excited. I'm excited for the playoffs. It feels like it's been too long since we had this literal year. A literal year, ladies and gentlemen, since we had playoff football. Uh, and here we are. It looks like, in my opinion, right now we have a couple of uh, a couple of good matchups. I would say uh, in the first round, the first wild card weekend, and all these end up probably being. Good matchups just because playoff football usually does not disappoint in that sense. Uh, but I think right now, the biggest favorites right now are definitely the teams that I see. I mean, this I'm kind of being captain obvious here, but the biggest favorites I see here are the two teams that I think are going to be uh, the ones moving on. I'm most confident about moving on one more so than the other. The San Francisco 49ers, they're playing the Seahawks. Seahawks, I mean, they've had a very surprising season. Geno Smith has had a resurgence. He's going to win comeback player of the year almost certainly. It's pretty much it's pretty much written in ink at this point. Um, but the, the Niners have looked like 
world beaters at this point. I cannot see a situation and where the Niners lose this game. Um, we've seen crazy things happen before with Seattle, obviously going back to, uh, you know, the, the beast quake and, and, and the wildcard team ending up winning that game, but they were at home in that game. And in this one, they're on the road in San Francisco and San Francisco has just looked so good. So good over the last, what, seven or eight weeks, something insane. And they've, ever since they've gotten Christian McCaffrey, he's been an absolutely lights out. He's taken a lot of the load off of guys like Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and it just made the run game even more hard, even more impossible to stop because uh, Kyle Shanahan's going to write up insane run games like crazy. Uh, and then Christian McCaffrey is going to be able to dominate every, uh, every, every, possible run game scenario that he needs to get in and that's what they've been doing you know, they dominate in the run game they find ways to get Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel open in different parts of the field I mean they just have playmaker after playmaker and Brock Purdy's looked really good as the third string quarterback somehow uh, the guy brings it comes in as the third string and he's looked just as good if not better than Jimmy G up to this point to be honest with you so We'll see what happens, but it feels like the Niners, they're nine and a half point favorites right now. And that's to me, I mean, it's, it's leaning uh, a little bit slight closer to eight and a half. And that feels, that feels, uh, that feels honestly a little, uh, a little, um, a little favorable towards the, uh, towards the Seahawks. To be honest, I can see this being a 10 point game uh, for the Niners, but we'll see. I mean, again, Seahawks, they, they fought all year. I wouldn't be surprised to see this closer closer than I expected as well. Um, and then the Bills, the Dolphins, Bills versus the Dolphins. That's the other nine and a half point spread. And we talked about that one a little bit already. But the Bills, uh, they're playing with a lot of emotion right now. Whereas the Dolphins are kind of playing, um, you know, they they don't really have a direction right now. In 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 my opinion, just because they don't know what the, what they're going to do at quarterback because of the situation with Tua Tunga Vailoa, him being hurt, if he's going to play or not in this game, who knows? Um, and then if Skylar Thompson's out there, it's a wash. The Bills all the way, 100%. Um, and then you've got uh, the other games, this one, uh, that, that Niners and Seahawks game, that's on Saturday. And then the other Saturday game, the most, I think this game, this other Saturday game is probably the most interesting. Chargers versus Jaguars. The Jaguars played the Chargers earlier this year, and they dominated that team. They dominated the Chargers, but the Chargers have played a lot better. They're getting healthier as the season has gone on. Uh, they got Keenan Allen back. They've got Mike Williams back. Mike Williams, I think, went out of that game on uh, on Sunday against the Broncos because he, I think, he hurt his ankle or something like that. But it seems like he's going to be back uh, for this game. Hopefully, uh, I want to see the Chargers at full strength playing in this game. And uh, if they're at full strength, I think the Chargers might have an edge in this game. But the Jacksonville Jaguars, they've played well too. That Saturday game against the Titans was not. Uh, it did not invoke a lot of confidence. I'll say. I mean, it kind of took a a game winning a game winning interception return for a touchdown to, uh, or it was no, excuse me, a fumble fumble return for a touchdown. Uh, in order to uh, in order to seal their their playoff hopes, and that's what it took against the Titans team that was essentially uh, dipping and dunking them all at three and a half yards down the field, and they almost nearly won that game that way. So the Jaguars. I mean, I was impressed with them the the last few weeks, and then this most recent week, I was like, ugh. I don't know about that. I don't know if that's going to work against the Chargers, but we'll see. Uh, I, Justin Herbert, I, this is the two a matchup against the two uh, the two uh, two of the best upcoming quarterbacks. We'll see. Uh, other than you know Joe Burrow, obviously is in there as well. Um, but I, I still think Justin Herbert's probably a little bit better than Trevor Lawrence. Justin Herbert looks like he's kind of figuring it out a little bit more. Trevor Lawrence still a little bit tiny, tiny just a little bit behind. Uh, Justin Herbert in terms of uh, NFL play and stuff like that. So we'll see. We'll see what they do. And I, but I, I think the Chargers probably, probably, I, I'm leaning a little bit more in the Chargers direction in this game. Uh, right now, Chargers are one-point favorites in this game for Saturday. So we'll see. Uh, but this one, that one's it's the most interesting game of Saturday and arguably the most interesting game of Wild Card Weekend. 
um, between the Chargers and the Jaguars, but we'll see. And then Sunday, we have the Dolphins and the Bills. That one's the early game. And then after that, the Giants versus the Vikings. This one's all up to what team we see, uh, which team the Vikings decide, which Vikings team decides to show up. Is it the team that beat the Bears that was uh, very stout in the way they played? They played, they were uh, efficient against the Bears. They were playing well against the Bears in Week 18. But again, Bears not playing at full strength either, so I I don't know. Uh, and then this Giants team, they nearly beat this Vikings team not too long ago. Uh, I think it was two, three weeks ago against this Vikings team. Took a like 65-yard field goal for him, the Vikings kicker to win that game in overtime, or as the time expired, excuse me. And uh, I don't know. I don't know which Vikings team is going to show up, but regardless of what happens, you can almost guarantee it's going to be one-score game because that's the only thing the Vikings seem like they want to play is one-score game. So we'll see what happens there. As it stands right now, they are three-point favorites. The Vikings are three-point favorites against the Giants at home in that game. So we'll see. The Giants wouldn't be surprised if they shocked the world either. They got uh, the Saquon Barkley. He's going to be, I mean, Daniel Jones looked better. Saquon Barkley looked great as well. Uh, receiving situation isn't great for the Giants either right now, but they've they've played a little bit better in the past few weeks. But Daniel Jones, he's been able to run around like crazy the last few weeks as well. He looks like, looks like Kyler Murray. That was kind of a joke, but he has been scrambling like crazy, getting a lot of yards on the ground. So we'll see um, if he's able to duplicate that sort of situation. Then that adds a whole other wrinkle to that offense that I don't know if the Vikings are able to defend against. They can't defend against anybody already. But I mean, I, I, a running quarterback, I don't know if they will defend against that either. Um, and then we got uh, last game on Sunday is the Ravens at the Bengals. This game gets a lot more interesting if Lamar Jackson is able to play. It's right now as of... Uh, right now, it looks like his status is unclear for the playoffs. He's unclear to play in this game, but we'll see if he plays. If he does play, this game gets a whole lot more interesting. We don't know if he's going to be 100% either if he does end up playing, but just assuming Lamar Jackson is 100% in this game, it gets a lot more interesting, I think. Uh, in the bang, I think the Ravens, as a team top to bottom, um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, the Bengals have a better receiving court. I mean, that's... Obviously, no joke. Uh, you know, no doubt on that one. With Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, they're obviously going to have the better receiving core. But the Ravens have decent cornerbacks and a, def- a decent second bo- secondary to at least m- not lock up, but at least maybe mitigate the damage that, that team could do. Um, with uh, Marlon Humphrey, uh, especially as the uh, the primary se- uh, cornerback there, he could maybe play uh, Jamar Chase pretty well. But if you have nobody on offense to really battle uh, to to combat that on your side of the ball, which they don't uh, offensively, uh, wide receiver wise, offensively, the Ravens don't, but their run game with Lamar Jackson is always something to fear. And if they can control the clock, uh, if they can run well with JK Dobbins as well. And uh, if Mark Andrews can show up and play well as the tight end, then I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility for this one to be an upset either. But the Bengals have also looked very good in recent weeks. Um, and you know, they're going to be under a lot of emotion as well, given they were the team that were playing the bills in week 18, uh, or excuse me, week 17, and then in week 18, they came out and and dominated uh, in uh, in week uh, week 18. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what the uh, what the Ravens can do if they have Lamar Jackson. This obviously becomes a lot more interesting. But um, Bengals have also looked very very good uh, over the past over the past few weeks, uh, mainly like six to seven weeks. They've looked like the team that made that run into the Super Bowl last year, if not better. To be honest with you, if they if not a better team uh, than they were last year going into that Super Bowl. So we'll see what they do. Right now, they're seven point favorites. So we'll see. Uh, I think the Bengals, they have the team to do what they did last year again to make it all the way to the uh, to the NFL player to the uh, to the Super Bowl, obviously. But it's gonna be a little bit of a different road. Obviously, I don't think uh, you're gonna have to either go through Buffalo or Kansas City. Uh, They did it last year against Kansas City, obviously. But um, 
I don't know. We'll see. Uh, if there's any team that can beat Kansas City, obviously it's this Bengals team. Uh, it might be a different story against Buffalo, but you know, if they make it there, then who knows? Who knows what they can do? Maybe they go back to back into back to back AFC champions, and they go from you know worst to first in a matter of in a matter of four years since drafting Joe Burrow. So <laughs> that would be an incredible turnaround if they're able to pull that off. Um, okay, moving on. Monday, last game of Wildcard Weekend. The Dallas Cowboys are taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This ca- this game is interesting as well. I was talking about Chargers and the Jaguars obviously being an interesting game. Probably the most interesting game of the week. This one is probably up there. It, it, this one might be actually the more interesting game. Just because you're talking about Tom Brady, a team that has dominated the, the Dallas Cowboys throughout his career. Tom Brady, he's going to have... I, I can't believe I'm going to say this. He's 8-9. and That team is not good. I mean, just just... No, like just looking at it from the outside, looking in, it is Tom Brady. I get it. We're cl- it's clouding our judgment. Tom Brady is, but just looking at it from the outside, looking in, that is not a good team. Like all from top to bottom, not a great team. Tom Brady, obviously one of the best to ever do it. The best to ever do it. Not one of the, the best to ever do it. I uh, still got Mike Evans. He's still got to, they still got Chris Godwin who feels like he can explode any second. Uh, they don't have Gronk anymore, which obviously we knew that, but that, that the security blanket that, that Tom likes to have during playoffs. And he hasn't really had that. Uh, this will be the first time he hasn't had that in a while. So uh, I'm, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm still scared of that team. And they're eight and nine. They have not, they've objectively not been a good team this entire season, but it's Tom, it's Tampa Bay. It's Tom, it's Tom Brady in the playoffs. I don't want to play him. I don't want to play Tom Brady in the playoffs. I don't want to play any team with Tom Brady in the playoffs. It's just, it's weird. I don't want to play that team. And then, I mean, you're, you're talking about a perfect, a perfect mixed bag of what's going on. The Cowboys just had a big old stinker, a big old stinker in, in, uh, in Washington and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a good enough defense to possibly exploit that situation in Dallas with Dak at quarterback. He's been turnover prone the last um, month and a half of the season. I would say he's had like a turnover every single game the last month and a half. I think if, if I remember reading that correctly uh, and you know, the team that they have, the, the Bucks have has the, the defensive output to be able to exploit that. So, I, if I'm if I'm Dallas, I'm a little bit nervous of this matchup. I don't want to say it. I'm I I'm not going to count out Brady though because it's Brady, and this could be. And I can't believe I'm saying this either. If Brady finds a way to just turn it on, just carry this team in terms of quarterback matchups, supporting opposing quarterback matchups, this could be one of the easiest roads to the Super Bowl he's ever had. We're talking against Dallas. Uh, against Dallas, Dak Prescott, who has not looked very good over the last few weeks, uh, against Dallas, then against Jalen Hurts, which granted. Uh, you know, possible MVP, MVP candidate for sure, but we haven't seen him in the playoffs yet. We haven't seen him perform in the playoffs. So who knows who we're going to get in that matchup? And then Kirk Cousins, Kirk freaking Cousins in there as well. Kirk freaking Cousins. That's if that's chalk too. That's if the chalk teams win. If every chalk team ends up winning, then that's that. that those are the possible matchups you're looking at for Tom Brady. Has there been an easier path for Tom Brady going through the NFC this season if he's able to find a way? If he finds a freaking way to get into and win his eighth Super Bowl, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up all over this board here, and I'm going to die, okay? There's just no way that this 8-9 and team snuck into the playoffs. That was terrible all season long. I'm creating this scenario in my head just because it feels like the most Tom Brady thing that can happen happen. He just kind of, I mean, he didn't, it's not like he, it's not like he, you know, he barely played or anything like that. It's not like he, he moseyed his way into the playoffs. He was having an outstanding year. It's the team around him. That was just not very good at all. So, you know, I don't know how much more he's able to turn it on. He's, I mean, he's 45 
years old, and he was third on the passing list this year behind Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. So I don't know how much more he can really turn it on to beat these teams, but if he finds a way, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up, and I'm going to proceed to just die right here on this board because I cannot... I wouldn't. I would not know what to believe anymore. I've been talking about it all season long, where I said this is it. This is the year. Tom Brady's gonna hang it up. It's over. Uh, and, you know, I was probably wrong in that sense because he did have an outstanding year. To be honest with you, it's just the team has not been very good that he's been playing on. And there's no reason for Tom Brady to keep playing if he's 46 years old on a team that's going to be 500 or what should be 500 on the season. So, you know, that's probably wrong for me. He can move if he wants to. I think this is the last year of his contract as well. Look out Vegas, possibly. And then, I mean, there were ties to him before. Who knows? Maybe he could be going to Vegas. But, I mean, uh, down the road, I, I just, you know, if he finds a way to do it this year, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be so sad. I'm going to be like, this guy is, uh, that, th- th- that'll be the most, the most prominent evidence of cheating I think there's ever has been against Tom Brady if he finds a way to do it this year. And there's no evidence to support his, uh, any sort of cheating accusation against him this year. But if he finds a way to go through the NFC and then win the Super Bowl in, uh, against, you know, Josh Allen, uh, Patrick Mahomes, or, or uh, Joe Burrow, or whatever, whoever it is in the AFC, and he finds a way to win that game, uh, I'm, I'm calling cheating. I'm joining in on the bandwagon uh, of the deflate gate, uh, of the videotape gate, the practice gate. I'll, I'll be on all those bandwagons just for this season to be investigated because there is no way he should be winning the Super Bowl this year with a team that he has. Um, but who knows? Dallas could come out. They could dominate, and uh, or they could win by three points. Who knows? They could come out and uh, and could have eradicated all those flaws that they had the last few weeks. And uh, it could be that game that they had against uh, against the uh, the Giants not too long ago. They would put up what, like thirty six in the second half. Could be one of those games for the Giants or for the Cowboys. And then we're not talking about this. And then we're not talking about this all for Tom Brady. We're talking about if he's still going to play, which we do every single year because he's forty freaking five years old. And then. You know, if he's going to retire, he doesn't retire. Where he's going to go next? Who knows? Miami, Las Vegas. Who knows? We'll see. Um, all right. That's football. It's football. That's football for the weekend. Upcoming wildcard weekend. And playoff football is back. We're all excited. Hooray. And then the NFL draft, that's coming up too. And it's all the more interesting now. Thanks to uh, thanks to the Texans and Lovey Smith just giving the finger on his way out the door. It was uh, That was awesome. And now it makes everybody more interested in the NFL draft. Uh, really quickly, we're going to talk some... One one big news story in the MLB that just happened not too long ago. Uh, Carlos Correa, uh, Giants shortstop. He was he's the uh, the San Francisco Giants. Oh, <laughs> just kidding. No, he's not the San Francisco Giants shortstop. He was almost the San Francisco Giants shortstop, uh, but then he opted out. Uh, he signed the contract, but then like as his pen, I like to imagine the scenario as as his pen was going down to touch the paper, his hands like shaking, like really bad. And he's like, should I do this? I don't know if I should do this. And then he throws the pen down, leaves, and then he's like, all right, I'm going to play for the Mets. I'm going to do this as well. So, signs for the New York Mets. He is the New York Mets, I don't know, shortstop, third baseman, uh, and uh, some big... Oh, wait a minute. What? What are you saying right now? He's not the... Producer, say that again. I have no video on this. This is clearly an audio joke. What did you say, producer? He's not with the New York Mets? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's the same thing. He did the same thing to the Mets. He did the same exact thing that he did to the Giants. He did to the Mets. He fleeced him. His hand was approaching the paper to sign that contract. It was shaking. And he was like, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I can do this in New York. And he threw the pen down. And you know where he went? He went back to old faithful. Actually, old faithful would probably be Houston. But most recent faithful. He went back to the Twins. And he signs for six years, $200 million to play with the Minnesota Twins again. 
this year. I have never, ever, 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 ever seen anything like like what we are seeing with Carlos Correa this offseason. Uh, part of me doesn't believe he's going to sign with the Twins. He might sign with somebody else. He might be faking it once again and then go and sign with the Dodgers or something because that seems like the most po- the most you know uh, probable uh, uh, prospect for a shortstop in this situation, a, a great shortstop with a good bat to go play for the Dodgers. That makes the most sense, so I don't know if he's going to sign with the Twins. Is the third time the charm for Carlos Correa? I don't know. Is he going to sign with the Twins? I don't know. I'm not going to know until I see the literal pen on the paper. His hand is still probably shaking as it's going down to 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 write his name. With but the the goal is is for the Twins GM to just push his hand down and let him write it. Okay, that's that's the goal for the Twins GM. I want you to be there, microscope on his eyeballs or on his hands, your eyeballs in the microscope, paying attention to his hand shaking, and then as he's getting close, just press it down, press it down, and then make him write his name. That's the goal if you're the Twins GM because there is no I, there is no guarantee that he is going to sign this contract either. I mean, there is no guarantee uh, at this point. We thought he was going with the Giants, and then he was going with the Mets, and the Mets looked like a sure deal, and they were like, nah, and then he was like, nah, I don't want to do this. Uh, no, thank you. Gone. Back to the Twins. Uh, why would he sign with the Twins, by the way? No offense to the Twins. Like, I get it. You know, you're the Twins. Okay, sure. But, I mean, we're talking about New York, San Francisco to Minnesota? Question mark? That just seems like a... That seems like a weird leap, you know what I mean? So I'm you know, I'm going to make a I'm going to make a bold claim here, okay? I don't know if this deal has officially been signed, so this is probably a stupid claim to be making, but I'm going to say he's not making this deal. Um that's the claim I'm going to make. I'm going to make sure right now that he hasn't signed the deal. I'm going to make sure I'm going to see if he has signed it and if he has signed it then just completely forget what I'm saying right now. But if he hasn't signed it yet, then I'm saying I'm saying he's pulling another fleece. He's doing it again. And it is. I just looked. It, they're finalizing a deal. This is according to Jeff Passan, which is the the baseball Adam Schefter. He is the baseball Adrian Wojnarowski, if you will, and Jeff Passan. Uh, Jeff Passan, excuse me. And, and he's saying here that they are finalizing a six-year, $200 million contract. Uh, the option, the deal has a vesting option that can max out to $207 million. But here's the kicker. Here's the kicker here. It is still pending a physical. And that's been the holdup for these other teams to finish the signing. It has been pending a physical, and he has not passed the physical for whatever reason. That has not come out yet, obviously. Uh, for the Giants, the Mets, they haven't released any information into that, but it was pending a physical. The physical did not go well, and then he leaves. And it's still pending a physical for the Twins. I'm going to say it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to say it right now. He's not signing with the Twins, okay? He's just bouncing around. He's fully going into these, just upping his price every time, just going up and up and up. And he's like, hey, guess what? I'm signing with the Twins, Dodgers, wink, wink. Check it out. My name's going on to the paper, but it's not really his hand because the hand's still shaking, obviously. But it's not really, so it's not really his hand. It looks like it's his hand, but it's a fake hand. So, you know, he's winking at the Dodgers. He's like, hey, check it out. Look, I'm signing with the Twins. And then they freak out. They're like, look, we'll give you more money if you back out and come to the Dodgers. I, I'm saying it right now. That's what's going to happen. And not necessarily the Dodgers. It doesn't have to be the Dodgers. But I'm going to say right now, there's no reason to go back to Minnesota if you're Carlos Correa. There's no reason. There's no reason to go back to Carlos, to the Twins. You don't want to go to You're giving up New York or San Francisco to go to Minnesota. Shout out Minnesota, okay? No offense to Minnesota, all right? But you're comparing New York, San Francisco to Minnesota. There's not, you know, that's a not a compare, not a great comparison for Minnesota in that sense. So what? So what's he going to do? Dodgers, I would say, maybe even uh, Miami, even though that team's that team's bad too. But 
Miami as well. Miami, the uh, the Miami Port- Puerto Rican roots, obviously, you can go down south, down to uh, to Florida, go play for the Miami Marlins. That team's not good either, though. So I don't know. Probably not. I'm I'm not gonna not gonna definitely bet in on that. The Yankees, possibly. Who knows? But I'm saying it right now. I'm calling it, ladies and gentlemen. And I will call myself out next week if if this deal does end up going through. I'm calling it right now. He is not going to officially sign with the Twins. Okay, they're finalizing the deal. Still pending a physical. I don't think that Carlos Correa is going to sign with the Minnesota Twins. Put my name on it. Put the signature on it. I'll put my signature on it. No shaky hand here. I'll put my signature on it. And if he does end up signing with the Twins, I'll come on here. I'll berate myself. Okay? Even though, you know, there's no reason to think that he's going to sign with the Twins because he's kind of backed out of the last two deals. So, who knows what the hell Carlos Correa is going to do? Who knows? But I'm saying it right now. He's not signing with the Twins, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? He's just he's boosting the price a little bit. He's boosting the price a little bit. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, that was the big MLB news. Uh, and I wanted to touch on that because it broke literally today as I was as I was doing show prep for today. Um, it broke right as I was writing down NFL wildcard stuff. And I was like, okay, well, we got to talk about this now because this is unprecedented. L- truly, literally unprecedented in the world of baseball. I've never seen anything like this where the guy is literally just bouncing around, uh, essentially getting contracts in front of him and then not signing them and then leaving for a, another contract that he wants. I've never seen like this happen before, especially three times now. He's done it three times. Um, so we'll see what we'll see what happens, to Carlos Correa. Uh, I'm thinking Dolphins, uh, Dolphins. Excuse me, uh, Dodgers, not Dolphins. Dodgers, Yankees, possibly. Uh, who knows? Seattle, maybe. Who knows? Uh, I don't know. I, but I don't think it's going to be the Minnesota Twins. I do not think he is going to be playing for the Minnesota Twins. So. That's my two cents on that situation. We'll see what happens. Uh, that's going to wrap up the show, ladies and gentlemen. First off, thank you very much for tuning in, okay? Thank you very much for tuning in to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. Uh, I've been your host, James Timberlake. Please remember to rate and follow the show. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, and then, uh, you know, tell your friends, tell your buddies and stuff. Hey, James Timberlake, guy from Sheridan, doing a Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. Shake their hand and say, hey, James Timberlake, doing a Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. You should listen to it sometime. I would appreciate that very much. Thank you very much uh, for tuning in. Nonetheless, don't do any of that stuff. That's okay. As long as you're here, I appreciate that as well. Just keep tuning in. I appreciate it. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I've been your host, James Kimberly.